We're going to start reading at verse 15, verses 15 through 31. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible so you can study God's Word with us. Next week we'll do chapter 21 and then we'll be done with our study of John's Gospel and then we'll start a new book after that. But this morning we want to finish looking at this chapter that records the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course that's what we opened up the chapter with last week as we are reading of Jesus rising from the grave after Jesus' death on Calvary's cross, we know that he would be taken down from the cross. It was a religious man from the council of the religious leaders, uh, Joseph from Arimathea, that would prepare him for burial as, as well as Nicodemus, another religious leader. And they would place him in a tomb that was owned by Joseph and a tomb that was near Calvary. It was in a garden and a tomb that had never been used. And Jesus would only use his tomb for a short time because we know that he would raise from the grave three days later after he was put into that tomb. So, Father, we ask that this morning as we are in John chapter 20, that once again, that we would just be uh, touched very deeply by your word. That, Lord, this is a living hope that we have. The world doesn't have it, but we do as believers. And Lord, I pray that um, we would uh, once again just be um, encouraged and instructed and blessed and that we would just come to the realization even to a greater degree of how great your love and salvation that you provided for us. And so Lord, we give you this time as we study your word in Jesus' name, amen. So as we opened up the chapter, we saw that Mary Magdalene would come to the tomb early in the morning on the first day of the week. And she discovered that the stone that had been rolled to seal the tomb that Jesus had been put into, and, and we know that the Romans put a seal on that, but the stone that was a large stone, the gospel narratives tell us, and it had been removed and uh, it had been taken out of the way. And so she runs to find Peter and John and Mary at th that point, not expecting the resurrection. She just assumed that uh, someone has taken the body of Jesus away. So that's what she tells the two disciples. And we read last week that Peter and John would run to the tomb, and as they looked in, they saw the, his clothes, grave clothes that is lying there, but there was no body. And we left off last week with Mary returning to the tomb, looking in, and she would see two angels, two that were in white. Whether she knew they were angels or not, we don't know for sure, but in verse 13, they would say to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So she's just assuming that they're, you know, the reason there's no body there is because um, they have uh, taken his body away. And as she backs out of the tomb, she turns around, she sees someone that she supposes to be the gardener. Again, at this point here that we ended last week, she's not expecting to see Jesus. And as we left off at verse 15, uh, we see that uh, she thinks it's the, the gardener. And, and Jesus, in verse 15, said to her, Woman, why are you weeping, and whom are you seeking? And she would say to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And that's where we left off. And now we're going to see that Mary here is going to discover that this person that she is talking to 
is not the gardener, but the Lord himself, that indeed that he's alive, that he's risen from the grave. And verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, and she t- turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means, or which is to say, teacher. So Mr. Gardener, tell me where his body is, and I will go, and I will bring him back. I, I will go and get him. And Jesus says one word, Mary, her name, and she recognizes his voice. Now that should remind us of something that Jesus said uh, in Jerusalem in John chapter 10. You recall that he would proclaim to be the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he would go on to say that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And can you imagine as He says one word, her name, Mary, and just uh, the overwhelming joy that she is feeling right now, she realizes that the one who meant the most to her, her Lord wasn't dead any longer. His body had not been moved. His body had not been taken away. It had not been stolen. But you're alive, and in her excitement, she embraces Jesus. And how do we know? Well, verse 17 tells us, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. So some of your translations might read, Mary, don't touch me. And it has caused some interpreters to wonder why Jesus could not be touched. And, and I don't think that's what Jesus is implying or saying to Mary. Oh, Mary, don't touch me. You can't touch me. Because what we're going to see later on in this chapter, in just a few verses, that we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell Thomas, I want you to touch me. Touch my wounds and, and touch you know, the, the, the nail holes in, in the, my side where the, the Romans put a spear up through my side. And Thomas would do that. But it's, it's the better translation here in verse 17 is what we read here in the uh, New King James. says, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to me. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because in the first reading of this, you might think that Jesus is perhaps being a a bit insensitive here. Uh, Mary, don't cling to me. Don't hold me. But Jesus, uh, he would know the excitement and the joy that Mary is feeling at this moment. He understands her desire to cling to him, to hold him. But Jesus also here is going to be explaining something very important to her and something very important for you and I to understand. Mary, don't cling to me. I have something for you to do. And this is important. Listen, I have not ascended to my Father, but I want you to go and tell the brethren that I am ascending to my Father and to your God, to my God and and, and your God, to my Father, to your Father. And that is why I came to this world. I came to this world to die for your sins. And the purpose of of my coming was to provide reconciliation. Now, that's just a word that means relationship. I came to provide relationship with the Father. Um, I came so that that relationship with the Father might come through me as I went to the cross and died for your sins, and now forgiveness is possible, eternal life comes through me, and relationship, reconciliation with the Father. And I'm going to ascend to the Father, where I will sit at His right hand. 
And he will be your father and your God because of what I did on behalf of you. And now you are linked to the Father. You can have relationship to the Father. You can have closeness with the Father. That's why I came, Mary. And you see, that's the news for you and for me on this Sunday morning. The reason that Jesus came is that we would have forgiveness of sin, that we, yes, can have the hope of heaven, but also that we can be linked to the Father and have relationship with Him that only comes through Jesus Christ. So Mary, you've got to understand what I have done for you, reconciliation between you and your father. And now you can enjoy him, you can have closeness with your God, and you can go into, as Hebrews chapter 10 declares, into the holy of holies with confidence. It's not with our own confidence. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we're so good or worthy. It's because of the blood of Jesus, as the writer of Hebrew declares in chapter 10 into the Holy of Holies, and, and they would know what that meant, those of the Old Testament. The Holy of Holies, of course, was the inner sanctuary where the Shekinah glory of God was, the tangible presence of God. And in the Old Testament, only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies for a short time, one day a year, and, and to make atonement for the sins of the nation. Now, we as believers, we can have you know, fellowship with the Father, go into His presence, to the throne room of grace anytime we want, and we can do it any day of the year, and we can stay as long as we want. So here is something very important for us to understand this morning. So Mary, you need to let me go right now. I know you want to cling to me, but I have a message for you to give, and that is the good news. It's the gospel message. Jesus has provided forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation. And one day, as Jude writes in the back of the New Testament, in that little epistle of his, he declares that you and I as believers, that we're going to be presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. And it's all possible by Jesus' death on Calvary's cross and his resurrection. And when we really as believers make that our own and receive that, and really understand that, all that the Lord has done for us, then our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, He becomes our you know, satisfaction, our peace, our joy, our gladness. He becomes our fulfillment. He's the one that brings us true purpose in our life presently. And we don't have to cling to that thing or you know, to this thing of the world or this worldly pleasure or whatever it might be. But what we can do is we cling to the Father. It's being reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. And we know that we will be with Him in eternity, and He desires to work in our lives presently. So I want to encourage you to really understand of what Jesus has done for us in providing forgiveness of sin, the greatest need of man is to be forgiven. And then also that we have eternal life, the promise of eternal life. But also know this, that you now have access to the Father. You have relationship with Him. And we can enjoy Him. So I want to ask you a question. Do you enjoy your relationship with the Lord? Spend time with Him. We get to walk with Him and, and listen to Him and enjoy Him, and we get to seek Him, 
And so, Mary, I want you to go and tell the brethren that reconciliation has come. She's the first missionary to go out and give the gospel. You see, her love for the Lord qualifies her to be the first ambassador of Jesus Christ. So not only do we realize that we have relationship now or reconciliation with the Father through Jesus Christ, but then we're told, as Paul would write to the Corinthian believers, we have the ministry of reconciliation. And what that simply means, as you know, is we get to go out and we get to tell others what we have experienced, what we have, what Jesus Christ has done to provide forgiveness of sin and salvation and, and reconciliation. So Mary is going to be the first one to declare the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Jesus is alive. He died for our sins. He is our mediator to the Father. He's our advocate on behalf of the Father. And now we have relationship with the Father. And you and I, we get to tell others as well that are linked to us in our lives whether it's simply our children, our grandchildren, other family members. And we get to tell those at work that we have opportunity to speak to and, and minister to, perhaps neighbors, others, friends, school you know, mates that we have, uh, that we know. We get to tell others of the great gospel of Jesus Christ and that they too can have relationship with the Father. We want them to know the Father. We want them to experience what we have, to be forgiven, to have, you know, that joy and that peace, to have that e promise of eternal life. And they, too, can experience that and have that as they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, Mary, I'm going to give you the ministry of reconciliation. You go and tell the brethren that I am alive. I've risen from the grave. I'm going to go to their father and to their God. And so verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So later in the day, this is still... The first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, Jesus makes an appearance to the disciples in the evening. Now, the Gospels tell us of five appearances Jesus made on Resurrection Day. To Mary, as we just saw, then to the other women, to the two on the road to Emmaus that Luke records, and then to Peter, and now to Peter and the other nine disciples, because we're going to read that Thomas is not with them here. And, of course, Judas had gone out and already has hung himself after the betrayal of Jesus. So here they are, these disciples, nine of them. They're assembled together. And I'm sure they're wondering, what does this all mean? Uh, what does this mean? Is, is, is this really true? Perhaps the others are thinking. Peter has seen him. We're hearing reports from the women that, that they've seen him, that, that he's alive. And these guys still obviously are full of fear. They, they fear the religious leaders. And what a contrast that this is to see what's going to happen seven weeks from now when they're going to stand boldly in Jerusalem at the temple and in Acts chapter 2 as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, they're going to give the gospel and 3,000 get saved and that's the birth of the church. 
But then also we're going to see that they're going to continue to do that, as you know from the book of Acts. And they would stand before the religious leaders. And the religious leaders would say, don't proclaim his name. Don't speak the word of Jesus. Quit giving your doctrine. And they're going to say, no, we're going to do that. We're going to obey God over obeying man. And they would be beaten and thrown in jail. But yet they would be determined to continue to give the gospel. So at this time here, they're still full of fear. They're hiding behind this, this door. Probably the door is locked. But it doesn't stop Jesus from appearing to them. And he comes to them and he says, peace be with you. Words of comfort, words of encouragement. Our Lord is so wonderful, isn't he? In those times where we fear, in those times where, where we're down or we're wondering or confused, he comes along and he comforts us and he gives words of encouragement to us. He doesn't rebuke these guys. He doesn't say, you're a bunch of cowards. You know, what's with hiding behind this door? I told you that I would resurrect. Don't you get it? Don't you understand, you guys? And where's Thomas? Where's he at? Why isn't he here? The Lord doesn't go in that direction. But he comes to them and he says, peace be with you. And we know that because we have relationship with the Father coming through Jesus Christ, that we have peace with God. You see, before we came to Jesus Christ, as we surrendered our lives to him, before that, that we didn't have peace with God. We were at enmity with God. We were separated from the Father because of our sin. But Jesus Christ, our mediator, has now brought us peace with God as, as we believe in who he is and what he has done for us and the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So he says, peace with God. But also, he desired to give them the peace of God, just as he desires to do in our own lives as believers. In verse 20, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. When we have the peace of God, it brings gladness into our lives. He is confirming to them that truly that he is risen from the grave and that he's alive. Look at my hands, showing them the nail marks, the wounds from those spikes driven through his hand. Look at my side where the Roman soldier thrust that spear in my side. And so Jesus said to them in verse 21 again, Peace to you, and as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you are forgiven the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Jesus now commissions them to do the work of the Lord, to give the truth of the Lord. They are now being sent out by the Lord. You go out and you tell the world that I am alive. And then he would breathe on them and say, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you recall in John chapter 14 that Jesus said to his disciples that I pray to the Father that he will send you another, the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth, speaking, of course, of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but he's going to come to you, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So these disciples are not going to carry this message of the gospel alone, or that is, in their own abilities, their own energies, but with the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here in verse 22, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would be in them, en in the Greek, as he said in John 14 would happen. Now you might recall, clear in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, that when God created man, Adam, that in chapter 2 verse 7, 
that when God formed man out of the dust, out of the ground, and he would then breathe into his nostrils and the breath of life, and man became a living being. In John chapter 3, you remember how it was Jesus that told Nicodemus that you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again, Nicodemus. So Jesus telling us that we must be born again by the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has been with them. Now here the Holy Spirit is in them as Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are born again. Just as God breathed life upon Adam there in Genesis chapter 2, now God breathes in them the Holy Spirit so they become alive spiritually. They are born again. Now, we do know from Luke chapter 24, verse 49, that at this time that Jesus, having breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit, would then say to them, I will send you the promise of my Father, so wait here in Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. And we see that in Acts chapter 1, don't we? In in verse 8, that Jesus would say to them, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, epi in the Greek, upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we know that that did indeed take place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So here the Holy Spirit in them, and then the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 coming upon them. So you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I just want to remind us how we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit to empower us so we can be His witnesses to the people around us in our lives. And then in verse 23, this is an interesting verse, isn't it? Because some of you might be thinking, what does Jesus mean by this? You know, And some have taken this to mean that the apostles were providing forgiveness of sin going around saying, well, you're forgiven, and and you, you're not forgiven, you're not forgiven, your sins remain. And over time, what happened is that a doctrine was developed around this to where that there are some circles, even today, that believe that you have to go through a man to receive forgiveness of sin, that you have to go through him, that he's the mediator, through, uh, you know, a ministry leader, a a pastor, through a priest, whatever it might be. And so is that what Jesus is saying here? No. What he is saying here, we as disciples sent out ones for Christ, giving the, the truth of the gospel, that Jesus loves you, died for your sins, he rose again from the grave, he's alive. As his disciples, apostles, as we are sent out, in other words, These apostles here, with the big A, you know, that is the the original apostles, they were not to go around telling others that, you know, they are the ones that provide forgiveness or, you know, retain forgiveness. There's no evidence in the book of Acts or in the epistles that the apostles went around saying or doing that. So it is not providing forgiveness but it is proclaiming forgiveness. It is announcing the good news that forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ. It is announcing God's terms on how a person can receive forgiveness, and that is through Jesus Christ believing on Him in the atoning work of the cross. 
And the Word of God says that if you reject Him, that your sin remains. You recall that He told the religious leaders that if you do not believe that I am Him, then your sin remains. You remain in your sins. So it's not providing forgiveness, but it's proclaiming forgiveness. In verse 24, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So in verse 19, when Jesus first appeared to the disciples, Thomas was not with them. Thomas, you've missed the meeting. You've missed it when Jesus was there. He missed out on revelation. He missed out on truth that was given. I just want to remind us that the book of Hebrews tells us that don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, together, as is the manner of some, especially as you see the day approaching. So we are to be assembling together with the brethren in fellowship. And it's important that we keep that as a priority in our lives, especially as we see the day approaching. What day? When the Lord comes back. When the day of the Lord comes, and we know that we're getting closer to that time. But here's the thing. I know that we can't always be in fellowship, and there's going to be times where you miss. But when we are in a you know, routine or we end up just making excuses to where we're not being in fellowship, then we end up missing out on truth. We end up missing out on revelation given to us. We end up missing out on being in fellowship and encouraged and blessed. So here, Thomas, he missed out on all that. So Thomas was gone for whatever reason. In verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So this is where, of course, he got the name Doubting Thomas. But when you think about it, he really isn't doubting, is he? He's just not believing. We will see that Jesus will say to him in the next verse, don't be unbelieving. Hey, Thomas is saying, I'm not going to, you know, fall into this trap of, you know, high hopes and expectations. Guys, I'm not going to believe until I see the Lord himself with my own eyes and I touch his wounds. I'm not going to believe until that happens. One of the things that the skeptics, by the way, of the resurrection will say is that the disciples were so distraught, they, they were so overwhelmed with grief, they couldn't come to grips about Jesus' death, so they made up a story that Jesus was alive. Well, Thomas wouldn't have done that. To, to come up with a theory like that is to be completely ignorant of the disciples. He won't believe unless he sees. Thomas doesn't realize at this point that Jesus specializes in taking something that is dead and bringing it to life. And maybe, just maybe, someone is here this morning. And maybe there is something dead in your life. Maybe it's a relationship of some sort. Maybe a marriage, a business, your work. It may be ministry even. And like Thomas, you say, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe any longer. I won't believe unless I can actually touch it and see it. I just want to remind you that Jesus specializes in taking that which is dead and making it alive. And he whispers to you this morning that trust in me. Believe my word given to you. My my 
promises that I have for you and see that I'm going to work. But one more point I'd like to make for you that are here in the meeting, that are taken in, hearing the, the Lord and the word of the Lord, you go and tell others that aren't here what you have heard, what you have seen, how people are made alive. There are those that we know that, that we invite to church, you, you want to share with, you, you want to have them come and, and, and be in fellowship, but for whatever reason, they don't. But you have opportunity, perhaps, as you pray, as you minister, as you talk with people, to be able to tell them what you have gained from being here, what you have learned, the truths of God that, that, that you get to, to have that is taught to you in your own devotions. You just share with them, just like these guys did, that are sharing with Thomas, the one who isn't believing, the testimony of the other ten disciples. They were saying, we've seen the risen Lord. And you and I get to do the same thing with others as well. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe him. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus appears to the disciples again, and this time Thomas is there. And the Lord, who knows everything, he knew what Thomas had said. Remember this, that the Lord sees everything. He hears everything. You know, go, and he tells Thomas, Thomas, touch my wounds, feel them. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas responds by worshiping the Lord, doesn't he? He says, my Lord and my God, both titles of deity. And we see here that Jesus accepts that worship. He does not correct Thomas and tell Thomas, don't worship me, don't call me God. He doesn't do that. We know in other places, like in Revelation chapter 22, when John fell down before the angel to worship, the angel said, stand up, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, fell down to, to worship Peter. Peter didn't say, hey, I'm the first pope, you should be worshiping me, and I'm the great apostle. No, he said, stand up, for I'm a man as well. Don't worship me. In Acts chapter 14, Lystra, when, when they were proclaiming Paul and Barnabas as gods, they tore their clothes, Paul and Barnabas, and said, we're not gods. You need to turn to the true and living God. We're just men. And we can look at other examples of those who, who you know, uh, were, you know, bowed down to worship, and, and they corrected those who were doing that. Don't do that. But here we see clearly that Jesus accepts the acknowledgement of Thomas that he is Lord and that he is God. Jesus does not say, don't worship me, Thomas. Don't call me those titles of Lord and God. But Jesus' response is, because you have seen me, you have believed. The implication, obviously, is that you have believed the truth that I am Lord and God. And blessed are those who have not seen and they believe. Faith, of course, in Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, that faith is the substance, or that is the realization of things hoped for, and the evidence, or that is the confidence of things not seen. In other words, faith sees what the man who lacks faith never does. 
And then as we finish this morning, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, believing that you may have life in his name. So many other signs Jesus did do. And John will, you know, end this gospel by saying, if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the world could not contain the books that were written. So Jesus did much, much more than what we have read over the last several months in these you know, 20 chapters. But John, inspired by the Spirit of God, says, I write these things down that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing in him that you may have eternal life. One of the things that will help you when people become believers and, and they're new believers and young, they'll say, you know, what should I do? What book should I read? And what should I do in starting to read the Bible? John's a good book. Or if those who are questioning, those who are, the, you know, wondering about God, hey, you know, I've never read the Bible well, just read the Gospel of John. That is a good book to turn them to. To say, read John's Gospel, because John wrote the Gospel that we may believe that he is the Christ, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that he's alive. And so here we know that John saying that I write these things down, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, believing in him that you might have eternal life. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for um, this morning. We thank you for uh, this chapter, a glorious chapter recording the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, Father, my prayer is that, that we as believers would remember that we now have relationship with you, Father, because of what Jesus Christ has done and going to the cross and rising from the grave and conquering sin and death and father my prayer is if lord there's anyone who's listening to this message that's here that you've never come to jesus listen that he is our mediator he's our intercessor he's our advocate he is our only sacrifice for sin jesus christ alone died for you and that he is your salvation what he has done to provide forgiveness of sin And you come by faith, believing on him that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you've never done that, it's not about religion. It's about relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, recognizing what he has done for you. That you need the Savior of the world, Jesus, because you have sinned. And if that means anything to anyone who's never come to Jesus, the gospel, that's the good news, that he's alive and he conquers sin and death and he loves you. And you can pray right where you are to receive eternal life. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, it's believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you can pray, Jesus, I come to you a sinner. I confess my sin, my sins that I've committed, transgressed against you. I believe you died for those sins. And Jesus, forgive me. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you rose from the grave and you're alive. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my heart as I open my heart to you right now, as I believe with my heart that you are Lord and Savior, that you are my Lord and my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for providing forgiveness of sin and right relationship with the Father. 
And as we come to the communion table now, I pray that as we hold the communion elements in our hands, that we would just just marvel over this greatest salvation that we have as we hold the cup and hold the bread. In Jesus' name. The usher's going to hand out the communion elements. I would ask that you hang on to them. We'll partake of them together.